Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, our 316th installment here on the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt, and I am joined by Mr. Timothy Harvey. Good evening. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm okay. I'm liking these cooler evenings. These are, we're more in my temperature range. I'm not a, I'm not a hot weather person. Yeah. So summers are not my favorite seasons. I don't, I don't like to sweat for no reason. And standing still during the <laughs> Midwestern summers is a good reason to sit there and, you know, be all sweaty. And that's not fun. So... so I did. I'm a sweater uh, guy. I like sweaters. Yeah. Well, I did the. Um, I did the Michael Bublé uh, loadout on Saturday evening, and I get a. Uh, I get a shirt because we're on the local crew. The local crew generally sometimes gets a shirt, and yeah. my the the department I was in was the audio department, so I got a green shirt, and. By the time I got done, it was just soaked because it, you know you're you're hauling crates and carts right, and right. you know cases and whatever else. So uh, MS has just got out of a meeting, driving home, gonna miss the show, break a leg. <laughs> uh, yes, you can say that for radio and podcasts, yes. uh, any kind of any kind of thing. But you know if you're if if you're listening to the show. I mean, you don't have to watch the show. You can still have your mobile device on. You can be listening to us just like you're listening to the radio. So, Well, but, you know, we are a podcast. Right yes. In the name. Yes. Yes. Where's Which a podcast with pictures. Oh, <laughs> yeah. A podcast with pictures. But, you know, the, the word podcast has become such a a different, you know, it, it takes on different meanings anymore than what it originally started off with. So, you know, uh, I, I, I don't even look at us as being a YouTube channel or a podcast or anything else. We're just, you know, this is programming and it's well, however, however you, you want to consume it. You go back and you look at the, of course, the parents of podcasting is radio. Right. And of course, radio was dying, right? Everyone was saying that, right? The radio is done, you know, and it, which was not entirely true because it was still around. I mean, you still had your your music radio, your talk radio. Neither one of them was actually going away. They were just changing, right? Right. And um, the era of the radio drama, of course, had com had almost completely disappeared. Um, there were still a few that were around, but they were, it was super rare. I mean, you're more likely to get something on, like, on Star Wars on NPR, and even that was, you know, decades ago. But the fact that you have this, you know, how how much of of podcasting these days is falls into narrative? You got your, you know, your dramas and your comedies and your horror and your science fiction podcast, you know, your storytelling stuff, and you've just got commentary. Like there's really there's the two lanes of, of podcasting anymore, yeah. Um, which is interesting, you know. It's kind of cool, but it's almost like you got talk radio, and then you've got drama radio. Like, well, and and talk radio really essentially saved AM radio, which was oh, yeah. you know that was the beginning of it. FM, of course, you had your music channels and your rock and roll and your oldies and whatnot. Talk had kind of gone gone and faded away. And it was mostly news programs and, you know, special programs like gardening shows and investment shows sure. and that kind of thing. And then talk radio came out with Limbaugh and Hannity and all of that. And re really, it revitalized the talk format, you know, came back really with uh, with a lot of energy. And I think that a lot of podcasts benefit from that too because a lot of the stuff that you know well like us like we do it's all talk you know we're not we're not presenting dramatizations we're not although we've talked about doing the the radio plays we would love to do that and you know you could do 
uh, scripted productions. You could do music. You know, you could do you know shows with like radio programs and that kind of thing. We've looked at uh, actually looked at Radio Three Sixty Five, which is a website that says you can set up your own internet radio station, mm-hmm. and your fees for setting all of that up cover the ASCAP and BMI licenses and stuff, so you could actually play music and and not have to to worry about it. I'm like. That's a little outside the wheelhouse of what we're doing here, but, but it might be interesting yeah. to see what what we could do with an actual internet radio station. I don't know. It's, it it would be well, I think different. The, the good news is for for you know the, the, the for the same reason that the talk radio is so popular, it doesn't cost much to make. Yeah. Um, and that was all. That's all. You know, any any company looking for a way to make money. Um, especially in something like, oh, AM's going away. Nobody's listening to this. Let's throw a little bit of money and get this person to do a radio show. Well, of course, then it becomes popular. Same thing with podcasting. I mean, the the cost for doing it, it's like somebody says, everybody's got a podcast now. Yeah. You know, my my grandmother has a podcast. She's dead. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's... Well, it, the, other, the other part of that <laughs> is uh, you have... You know, uh, the um, marketing people say, you know, if you want to sell your pro- you want to sell your product, you should have a pro- uh, a podcast. If you want to sell your widget, you should have a podcast for your company. I was like, I, no, we don't need a podcast for every single little thing. And no, Mrs. Boss, we are not going to be doing H two O the musical episode. Thank you Says very that. much. No, I it in in gonna in gonna fly, in gonna fly. No, no musical episode. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. No sequence. You might think you want that, but you don't. You no. really don't. No, you don't. So anyway, so uh, so tonight <laughs> the Montgomery Ward podcast. There we go. Uh, so tonight we're gonna talk monkey wards. We're gonna talk monkeys, specifically. A very large monkey. But first of all, I want to give a shout out to people who are listening to us as a podcast. We've got listeners in Spain, Germany, Poland, Saudi Arabia, Denmark, Russia. Uh, I think I saw Malaysia on here earlier. So uh, happy to have all of you with us. But uh, yeah, tonight we're talking King Kong. Because we've recently gotten the news. And this has been a, this has been a, we- a few weeks. Uh, Disney Plus is working on a King Kong universe TV series. Mm-hmm. That's that, separate from the legendary movie franchise series. Which is in and of itself separate from the original King Kong series. Because there were a series of movies, and you know, everybody knows the King Kong movie from 1933. And I don't... If you haven't seen that, by the way, um, and you're you're even if you're not a fan of older film, you really should check it out. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely. is a very, very, very well crafted uh, movie, and the effects on that for all the the fact that you know it's long before CGI, long before um, you know the high tech um, body suits that you would get for for some of the later incarnations of the of the character. It's a beautifully crafted movie, um, and pay attention to how tall King Kong is <laughs> from shot to shot. Yeah, that because because it's deliberate. It's it's really fascinating how they the the how we see Kong on the screen, and this has continued on. It hasn't just it wasn't just the original. Um, other other versions of of the King Kong story have done the same thing. They change the size of Kong uh, in relationship to his surroundings uh, for effect, and it's 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 very very clever. And it's I'm I'm not going to say it's subtle because it's it's something that you'll notice, but it's very very smart. You notice in, it in the way if they you're... use they use a, the uh, perspective. Yeah, you notice it if you're looking for it. I think in the in the action of it, and just get caught up in the story. I don't know that it's one of those things that really just. Oh, uh, pops certainly the out. first time I saw it, it didn't it, it didn't register at all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a very 
it's a very conscious decision uh, to to really kind of uh, emphasize the the you know the size the the majest the majestic towering presence mm-hmm. right of this giant ape. What? Um, and uh, in some cases, it's like differences of like twenty or thirty feet. Yeah, uh, in height, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Well, and and the other the other part of it too. Uh, because you have um, you have the the stop motion animation, you know, back in 1933, this was this was fairly innovative, and mm-hmm. everybody, every well, I say everybody, a lot of people, most people are familiar with the name Ray Harryhausen, because you have Clash of the Titans, you have Jason and the Argonauts, you know the seventh. Seven Voyages, Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and you know, all, all of those different, you know, we've all seen the clip of the skeleton soldiers on the on the cliff, right, in right. Greece, right? Everybody knows Ray Harryhausen's work. This was not Ray Harryhausen. This was a man named Willis O'Brien who was the mentor to Ray Harryhausen. And it's, and it's I saw that in, you know, just looking through my notes and, and seeing it, I was like, Harryhausen had to learn it from somewhere. You don't think of it that way because Harryhausen's always been the master. Right. You know, came from some, you got to go back 1930s for him to be the Padawan in this, in this setup. And Willis O'Brien apparently was not happy with, uh, with the way the, the gorilla turned out in some shots because you could see the fur kind of doing whatever. And apparently when they did the screening for the executives, they were like, oh, look, he's angry. His fur's bristling. <laughs> like, okay, sure, why not? If you if you go back and look at look at the history of the evolution of the way he was even meant to appear in that first film, mm. it went from being very much um, meant to be a horror monster. You're looking at, you know, the, the original plan was to have this very terrifying uh, uh monstrous ape it was a lot of the emotion that you actually get coming through from the original film and and in the later films it really became sort of the hallmark of kong as a character that that um, uh, almost sweetness that appears at times was not in was not there in the original idea for the film it was meant to he was meant to be much scarier Mm -hmm. And um, the the evolution from going because the the guy who actually uh, was behind it um, was fascinated with with uh, apes from a very young age. He just it's one of the things he just loved, you know, loved the character, loved them as animals. Um, But um, the uh, Martin C. Cooper was the person who actually created Miriam back in the day. Miriam. And he had you know, the idea was, you know, a much more originally a much more faithful to a gorilla, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, in terms of in terms of the biology of Kong, the physical look of Kong. But as they as they created the character and they evolved, and and Kong became what we actually got, they kind of pulled back and made it a little more human, uh, in, in in terms of of how he was actually physically put together right. uh, and a lot of a lot of the evolution of the scary monster to what we got and of course certainly at the time there are people who, who found Kong to be terrifying it, it's it's a beautifully made uh, uh, stop-motion animation puppet um, but the the facial structure is this interesting kind of meld between what an apes the face of an ape it looks like and the face of a human. There's a lot of the intertwining well, of that it, it, to get the version that we we got. Yeah, and the original idea was that this was going to be some kind of a human gorilla mix-ish monster, and the uh, apparently there was a I guess I guess it was Willis O'Brien who came up with artwork based on those conversations, and it looked unworkable to to uh, to Cooper. And that's how we got further along into just the gorilla. Now, when we get when we get further along into Peter Jackson's versions, and the you know the '76 version, it becomes more like the silverback gorilla 
but right. this this is more upright and not walking on his knuckles or anything like a gorilla gorilla this is this is something a little bit different all the way around and it's just fine when you think about it because when you're already looking at something like you don't get 20 feet tall gorillas right so it can look a little different and move a little different that's fine <laughs> yeah all right so we may get some buffering here i'm getting some red lights on our signal uh, so stick with us. I know we've got a lot of popping in the audio. I'm not sure where that's coming from, but um, it's probably Tim's fault. Anyway. Sure. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so well, and I do think it's, I, I don't know if it's your microphone or if it's your connection or something. We've got, we've got that popping is back again. So I don't know where that's, we're going to have to track that down and figure that out. But, yeah, the original Kong was supposed to be this human gorilla monster thing. It just became this giant monster and the the king of the beasts on the island, on Skull Island. Monster, I, you know, I guess, is the, is the inspiration for Monster Island and various different other incarnations of the thing. Uh, and well, Monster, Island, Monster Island also pulls, I think, from uh, Conan Doyle's... Oh no, I'm drawing a blank on it. Conan Doyle had one of his novels. Uh, was it a Professor Challenger one? Lost World. Was was it was it uh, was it Lost Conan World? Doyle's The Lost World? Well, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think that's what it was. So you have that, and and of course, Monster Island shows up in DC Comics. And, you know, there's all sorts of derivative things. You know, uh, Dave mentioned Mighty Joe Young earlier in the chat, and that's a that's a copy. You know, Mighty Joe Young that's was an, made. That's an internal copy. That's RKO Pictures did, uh, did Mighty Joe Young. It was yeah. a deliberate attempt to recapture what they captured with, with King Kong. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting because the same year... That Godzilla comes out. I mean, not Godzilla. That King Kong comes out. We'll get to Godzilla in a minute. The same year that King Kong comes out, RKO sees the you know the success of this film. They're like, well, we got to do a sequel, and they came out with a sequel the same year, Son of Kong, which came out the same year later on that year. I think it said something like forty-five days developing and shooting and putting this thing together and I was thinking I cannot even imagine a stop motion picture that's 45 days and it's done I, that <laughs> it's just inconceivable to me that 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 would be possible even and now you have you know son of kong which is kind of interesting since kong died at the end of the Movie spoilers for a movie that's almost a hundred years old. Well, oh wow, it's just got eleven years and it's a hundred years old. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. that's crazy. Well, I mean, it's just uh, and, and when you can consider the legacy um, of the character, you know, there was this was this was a time long before anybody was really yes, there were sequels. People weren't thinking franchises. They weren't right. thinking world building in the way that they do now. I mean, yes, if you if you could have go back and, and return to a character because the audience loved it, you know, certainly studios did do that. I mean, you didn't you you saw it with um, the Thin Man movies. You saw it with um, you know um, you'd see it later with, with some westerns. Um, but the you know, but it was nowhere near you know the. I have to have twelve movies in my in my franchise, yeah. Um, you know, or or whatever. But the 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 turnaround time on making some of these films was insane. You would look at stuff that would, I mean, you would look at stuff that would be shot in a week. Mm -hmm. You know, now we call that we call that you know, you know that's that's ultra low budget. That's the you know, it's super indie and that's a TV and, episode. And it's 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 very doable. And sometimes it's something that you wish you hadn't done because, you know, you, you don't sleep. Yeah. But in those days, you know, this was this was the Wild West of filmmaking. Literally, the the Hollywood, you know, the, the, 
the Hollywood studios were all relatively new. Right. And there were there were very few rules. <laughs> yeah, and, this was all pre people got hurt. A lot of people ended up getting hurt yeah. in the early days of film because there were but no rules. It's funny but, because not only not only did you have, you know, let's just jump in and make a sequel. But it wasn't necessarily the same companies making the various different iterations of this thing because Toho, which made the Godzilla movies, they licensed Kong for um uh, for King Kong versus Godzilla, which is not to be confused with Kong versus Godzilla, the the one that we just had from Legendary. This was back from 1962, mm-hmm. and what happened is you had the Toho people. They they'd made I think two Godzilla pictures at that point, maybe three. And originally Godzilla was supposed to be this cautionary tale about atomic power and nuclear weapons and and that kind of thing, right? It's you know this this monster is created by these ugly, terrible man-made weapons, and we should we should be wary of this. Except Godzilla became really popular with the kids. Hey, kids, kaiju! And as the, and uh, to their credit, Toho leaned into it, and they said, "Well, okay, what do we do next?" And so they licensed Kong from RKO Studios. And in '62, they did Kong versus Godzilla, and a few years later, they did King Kong Escapes. But in the midst of all of that, Mecha Kong. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in the midst of all that, it's funny too. You had the rights getting bandied about because Marion Cooper said, "No, no, no, I own the rights," and RKO said, "No, no, no, we own the rights." And Universal's like, "Well, we have some rights," and and you know, RKO goes away eventually. So it's Universal, and then you had the Cooper estate. Because Cooper Cooper had come up with this idea long before he was at RKO Pictures. And his lawsuit, and the judge even said in the lawsuit, well, yeah, uh, everything belongs to Cooper except the movie. The movie itself, the movie rights and, and that particular story, that belongs to RKO. And the novelization that Cooper did as part of all of this, plus any additional material, all of that stayed within the estate, within the Cooper estate. Which is how you get the Disney Plus series, because the Disney Plus series is based on the novelization, which didn't get the copyright renewed, and so now is in the public domain. Well, there is a company right now that's been putting out, for years now, has been putting out uh, a book series uh, of Kong novels, which is also branched into into uh, comics. I think it's Boom. Yeah, it's Boom, Boom Studios, Studios did it. Who's got the? Um, but that and, was that was with arrangement been, with the Cooper Estate. I understand. Well, these are the folks who are these are the folks that the Disney series is, is working with for the adaptation that they're doing. Yeah. So you've got these two parallel lines, um, both of whom have certain rights, and both who can tell, basically, any story. They can both tell this the kind of origin of Kong and both have the rights to do it. They can both do a remake of King Kong because yeah. they both have the rights to do it. Yep. And then they can do whatever they want with it. So it's a fascinating example of, of how the rights copyright is not always an easy thing to understand. And some of this stuff can get tied up for years. Fans of like the Friday the 13th films. I've been waiting for a really long time for a new movie because it's all been tied up Buckaroo with rights. Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai, the film that so many of us would love to have a proper sequel to. We're never going to get it nope. because the rights are such a mess that it's, I mean, barring, barring. Well, okay. We'll, an act of God. We will um, get a Buckaroo Banzai film after it falls into the public domain. So 75 so years, se- yeah, at, we'll be dead, <laughs> yeah. but we'll be, 75 years children after. children might have it. <laughs> yeah. 
So the way just in time for a reboot. Yeah, and the way copyright works, and 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 I have to, I'd have to look this up for the exact terms. But basically, what we're looking at for copyright to be in effect, basically, it says I own this property, and it's treated like a a property. It's something that you own. It's like you own your house, you own your car, you've paid money, you you created this thing. It belongs to you, and everything surrounding it belongs to you. If you look at the Superman mythology, for example, DC Comics, well, Detective Comics, DC Comics now, National Periodicals, they own the character of Superman, created by Siegel and Schuster. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Olsen and Perry White and the Daily Planet were derivative characters that were created for the radio show. Now, DC owns everything now, but then the radio production, if you had somebody else producing the radio play, let's say RKO Studios made the radio play of Superman, and they mm-hmm. created they created Jimmy Olsen and Perry White and, and Daily Planet, they would own those characters. Right. And so DC Comics would have to pay for the permission to use those characters in the comic books. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we got She-Hulk the way we did, because Universal Television was making the TV show with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. And it was a hit, and it was very popular. And Stan Lee has done this interview basically saying, well, you know you know that they're going to want to do a female version of this character, and if Universal came up with it first, they'd own it. Which is right. why She-Hulk became, you know, why they did the book at Marvel, so they could preemptively do that and... and basically cut Universal off so right. they'd have control of the character and the rights to, the, to use that character. So Cooper, uh, so, so copyright, it applies to whatever it is that you've created the year you've created it, whether it's published or not. If I write down on a piece of paper this idea that I have for the last evil stepsister, Right. And I come up with this synopsis and I come up with this idea for a story. Well, my copyright, I own the copyright to that story, that idea. Now, you can't copyright titles, but you can copyright an idea. And, and there's something called a poor man's copyright, where if you stick it in an envelope and you mail it to yourself and you don't open it, then there's some proof that you have this. But copyright applies the year you create something up to 75 years past the the death of the of the creators so if i die next year so say tim and i come up with this superhero creation and if i die next year and if tim dies five years from now then you would count the 75 years from then Mm -hmm. whoever is the last one and then plus 75 years this is the mickey mouse rule well, this is how we end up with with uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which is yeah. you know, for you know all these years it's been tied up because of copyright. Now all of a sudden it's in the public domain, which means you can get a horror movie starring Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, and however the, you may feel about that. And the original King Kong, Marion Cooper owned it and wrote a novelization for it. And I think he did a, a, a novelization for Son of Kong as well. And so, the, w- the way it all broke down is the Cooper estate owns the rights to the novelization. But they didn't renew the world, copyright. Worldwide book and publishing rights for periodicals yeah. is what they ended up with. There was this whole thing at the end with RKO. RKO, Dino De Laurentiis Company, Universal, <laughs> and the Cooper estate. Uh, Cooper was still alive during this, this big court thing. Right. Um, where they determined that, yeah, this is a mess. So RKO owned the rights to the movie and its sequel. So you got that over here. Right. Dino De Laurentiis owns the right to the 1976 remake, which means they could make a sequel, and they did. And De Laurentiis bought those rights from Universal, didn't he? Isn't that how he got it? Because Universal, I think, ended up owning RKO at at one point did they not didn't didn't so universal owns the rights that everybody else doesn't own (laughs) 
which is what the court said, I, and I'm quoting, Universal yeah. thus owns only those rights in the King Kong name and character that RKO, Cooper, or DDL, going to do learn his, do not own. So, <laughs> That's so kind of a blanket. RKO got the rights to the original film and the sequel. Mm-hmm. Julio De Laurentiis got the 1976 remake and anything that spins out of that. Cooper gets worldwide book and periodical rights. Universal gets what's left over. Now, obviously, since then, Universal has acquired the rights to the original film and sequel. Mm. So, which is how you could end up with these these uh, very different um, and yet both completely legal and and official. Strictly speaking, they're both official. Yeah. The Disney series and the, and the the legendary picture series because they both have the way this all fell out. They both have the rights to tell these stories, which is fascinating. Um, and you don't normally get two different versions of the same thing happening at the same time. I mean, you've got this the Hellraiser movie and Hellraiser TV series in development. Well, they're made by different companies, and they and they're and they're separate from each other. But Clive Barker is producing both of them. Well, so and you've also like, got the Child's Play Chucky stuff. Right. You know, they got the Child's right. Play mu- movie reboot, and you got the Child's Play TV show that's the original people are involved in. And yet, that's an example of, okay, I've got the rights to do it. And everyone's like, okay, you did it. That's a thing you made. We're going to be here with the guys who who made the first one. I mean, yeah. that's the market. That's the market at, at play right there. Yeah. So we'll have we'll have to see what this. I mean, that's I'm I'm really curious to see what because I mean the Hulu Hellraiser and the TV series. I think they're going to be separated by enough space and format that I think that it's they're not necessarily competing with each other, but. You're looking at two King Kong series, one film and one in, in in television, essentially, and they're kind of in competition with each other. Yeah, well, so I'm curious. I'm curious how it's going to play out. The other thing, uh, the other thing you have is derivative rights, because you know, if if like say like say you and I you and I make a make a story, well. Uh, Statement of Randolph Carter, for example, we made a short story based on that, uh, a short film based on that short story. It's in the public domain. Anybody can do one. We did an adaptation of it. So we own the copyright to that particular version of that story. Mm. We don't own the copyright to Lovecraft's original short story, but we have the copyright to that particular film because we made it. Now, if we decide that we're going to make a movie using the detective characters that we created, we have every right to do that because it is a derivative work. Right. Because we created those characters, and we could go on and we could tell other stories. You know, actually, that's not a bad idea now that I think about it. Uh, we, although we wouldn't be able to, to do it the way we want to because of Tom's condition, but... But you have you have that thing, you know, the derivative works because then the ownership starts getting a little muzzy because if I create something that's out of the spinoff, you, the original owner, the original creator, don't necessarily own everything now that's related to what you created. And it starts to get a little dicey on who owns what and where and everything. It's like the Green Hornet or the Lone Ranger or... You know, any of these. So when Dino De Laurentiis comes around and says, I want to do a remake of King Kong, then you have all of this legal kerfuffle for people trying to figure out who owns what. Same as Buckaroo Banzai. And now, to make things even more complicated, because they're more complicated than that, Yeah, um, is you get into distribution rights. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Warner Brothers has distribution rights. To RKO's King Kong rights. Which is how you you follow it and it eventually works around a legendary pictures because the rights and this and I mean it's yeah. it's a it's a it, it's one of those what is it the it's the crazy it's the crazy detective board where all the strings are Oh right, right, right. The conspiracy <laughs> it's, board. It's fascinating how this all how this all lines up. But um because 
you're looking at uh, so many different ways that you can you can who you have to pay to make your version of King Kong really depends on. Uh, we can pick one. I mean, you got a you got you got a selection that you could actually go to and say, "Hey, could I do this?" Yeah. And and yeah, I mean, it's well, but it's and with Warner Brothers and Legendary, now you get back into the idea that Toho had back in the, in the nineteen sixties, where you take, "Hey, these giant kaiju, let them fight," because Legendary had already been working on the Godzilla stuff. And somebody had the idea, hey, why don't we why don't we remake essentially remake King Kong versus Godzilla? And it looks it looks better than this. I forgot to turn off. I don't the know. If you go back you go back and you look at the Toho <laughs> Godzilla costumes. Or, I'm sorry, the Toho King Kong costumes. The yeah. monkey on the shelf there is <laughs> I mean, they're look, I love Toho. I, I love the Godzilla movies. There's, I, I love the serious ones. I love the silly ones. They're so much fun. Uh, I will always have a fondness for them because you know, sitting on the, sitting on the couch with my dad, watching that stuff with the creature features on the weekends. Um, but oh, the designs of yeah. those are just—they do—they have I, not aged well visually. Have, they do not look good. I have had um, this monkey since I was—I uh, I don't. Did that belong to my mother? I don't think I don't think that monkey belonged to my mother. I've had this I've had this monkey since I was like three. The the Godzilla the stuffed Godzilla, I got my first TV job. We had to make some sort of a TV commercial and, and I was doing a promo and and did this monster here green screen over the over the cityscape where where we were doing stuff. And uh it um, yeah it, it 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 roars in the and the his paws circle around and fly in the air and whatever but but yeah you're a, right that that British, original King Kong British TV show I think they did a Kitten Kong <laughs> um, where basically it was the London city escape and and this kitten just uh-huh. moves through it destroying everything as as kittens are wont to do um, but uh, there's been a number of spinoffs of humorous nature of Kong over the over the decades. Spinoffs, parodies, uh, you know, not just not just you know direct, legitimate sequels and spinoffs. You know, material you because you had the you had the cartoon, you had a couple of cartoons, mm-hmm. uh, and then then you have the copycats. You know, things like Grape Ape, for example, or Titano. Oh. You know the big the big kryptonite powered gorilla in in the Superman stories. One of the reasons this stuff all ended up in court was because Universal sued uh, the folks behind Donkey Kong. Yeah, Nintendo. Because and, it was like, well, clearly this is King Kong. <laughs> You're ripping it off. What's funny about that is that the judge looked at the case and looked at Universal. And looked at Universal down his nose and said. You don't have the rights that you claim you haven't. Right. And and the whole thing got tossed out because Universal Universal made the claim that they had certain legal rights and ownership to the to the King Kong property that they did not have and knew they didn't have and lied in their filings and said, we own all of this. And the judge looked and at I'm, it and went, um, no, you don't. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that somebody sat there and, and looked at them and went, it's such a mess. No one will notice. Probably. And I imagine and, that lawyer uh, got fired. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm uh... I mean, you can look at Donkey Kong and you can say, okay, yeah, he's inspired by King Kong. But he's not King Kong, right? He's I mean, a giant ape. He's a giant and ape in overalls. I mean, it's just it, you can't copyright the idea of a giant ape. It's right. too broad. It's too you can. I mean, if you you can copyright the idea of a giant ape named King Kong, right? 
but the idea of a giant a giant monster animal of any kind you really can't you can't copyright that you know there's a godzilla is there's only one well okay there's multiple versions of godzilla but there's only one godzilla somebody's got to be paid for the rights to godzilla well but you can't copyright a giant radioactive lizard because it's too it, it's too generic yeah yeah well which now, is how you get what beast from and and, thousand fathoms and, and that's not the same as trademark because right. trademark is kind of like copyright only it's a different type of ownership a trademark mm -hmm. is a particular design a particular layout a particular logo a, a particular a trademark this is the mark you use to do your trade which is basically where mm -hmm. that comes from and so if you have something that's a distinct design, you know, we have logo, logo type, that kind yeah, of thing or a character. So, like, say, if, if you know, uh, uh, Star Trek, for example, you know, the uniforms of Starfleet are a very distinct design, whether you're looking at the original series or you're looking at the cage, you're looking at the movies or any of those things. Next generation, the trademark for Star Trek, you know, the logo for Star Trek, the design for the Enterprise, all of those things, you can't copy them unless you're doing parody or a fan film. Now, fan films get into real fuzzy territory. We're not going to talk about that. But right. parody is the only way that you can get away with using something similar and not violate copyright. But it has to be transformational and it has to be something different for the purpose of either educating or lampooning, making fun of it, or critiquing, criticizing, right. that sort of thing. So if you sit there and say 40 foot gorilla with distinctive human features in the face and this characteristic and this characteristic and he stands this way and thus so and he's this color and this kind of thing you could actually trademark the design for King Kong because you have a model you take photographs you and you say this is King Kong trademark your RKO Studios or Universal whoever uh, you do it you could do you know the xenomorph from the Aliens movies, you know, you could do that. I mean, I I would assume that Giger owns the the design of that, and that would be copyright because it showed up in his artwork before it was in the movies. I'm sure that the specific design has been either because it it would technically be a derivative work of yeah. his own existing things. It would be, but they would. Own 20th century, right? 20th century, I think. Yeah, I was 20th century Fox did. Um, I think they would have. They would own the derivative. Purchased work. the rights, quite probably. And that's a good question. Either license them or purchase them, because you can do that too. You can actually buy the rights to a specific right design from from a creator. Um, that's interesting. I'm curious, I'm really curious now how that how that actually breaks down for who owns the design. To the xenomorph. That's it's not the guys who bought the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> now for right. those for those of you who are wondering about that, you go back a few episodes. We're talking about Jodorowsky's Dune. Um because there they, are a number know. of copy table books of HR Giga. That would be right. <laughs> well, we bought a book. We can make an alien movie, right? But yeah, it's it's one of those things where now you get to legendary and and the the Kong and the Godzilla and now they have the rights to all of that stuff. It it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I can understand why they would do it because well, we're Disney, we can do anything we want and so now they're going to do their own King Kong thing. But it's kind of a dumb idea because Disney has Mighty Joe Young. They could do a Mighty Joe Young series. Well, I mean, okay, they, I, they remade you say Mighty that, Joe Young. But there's also um, the 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 series that they're adapting, the books that they're adapting, are um, an existing set of stories. I mean, you, you've got you've already got 
your scripts, essentially. I mean, obviously, you got to adapt them, but you've got a series of stories because they went back and did prequels, they did sequels. Yeah, there's I... all kinds of stuff going on with this stuff with the publishing rights, and there's there's a, a been a fairly long running and pretty successful, from what I can tell, book series that if you aren't if you didn't even know it existed, don't be surprised. I didn't either. Um, and but it's been doing well enough that they basically have this blueprint that they can do this whole thing, even though they'll be you know adapting one thing, one thing from one, one format to another, obviously changes it. But I mean, hopefully, there are you buy the redheads. rights to this, you, you, you get the rights to do this for you know your yeah. show. Hopefully, there you've aren't any. All this, you've, you've got the show Bible already built. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, I, I'm hoping there aren't any redheads in the story because they'll be ginger sided. But uh, yeah, the, the adaptations, the, the, the derivative stuff, the remakes, and the, and the sequels, and the reboots, and everything else. Why? I, I, know, I know Disney thinks that they're going to make some money off of those, I guess. I mean, I would. I would wonder if they if they think they're going to they have to but it's interesting too because chapek uh did an interview coming out of d23 uh talking about streaming and a very telling thing that he said was when we first got into it we didn't understand how hungry of a monster it was going to be. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there. But this idea of the constant churn and the need to make more stuff to go on the channel apparently has been somewhat Ooh. overwhelming for everybody who's, who's building a streaming service because now you gotta, you got to feed it. you got to feed the beast, and you got to keep feeding it. And you mm -hmm. got to put more stuff in. You got to put more stuff in. You got to put more yep. stuff in. And they didn't realize just how much was going to go into this. And I think that's one of the reasons maybe why David Zaslav is taking a step back and saying, you know what, this HBO Max thing, not going to be our first line. Because you can't afford to keep up that kind of output of material and expect to be profitable. Well, unless you have like what Amazon money, where you even can... then, I mean, they put a billion dollars into this this Lord of the Rings thing that nobody's watching and has terrible ratings all across the board and and is getting getting blasted online from just about everybody. And Bezos has basically said, that Lord of the Rings is their make or break point for Amazon Prime making anything original. If this doesn't work, they're out of it. Which is fine by well, me. But, you know, it, it just goes to show the whole streaming thing is not what anybody expected it to be. And for Disney well, to I sit there and say, we're going to do a King Kong TV show, it, it just feels like they're just grabbing at something. What have we got? What have we got in our library that we could do? Potentially. I mean, the thing is, is that you, you do have to feed the beast. You have you if you're going to set up a streaming service, if you're going to you want people to pay for it, they're going to want to justify that expense, whether it's five ninety nine a month or twenty nine ninety nine a month or whatever, anything in between. You have to be able to justify the content and whether that means bringing in new movies once, you know, have, you have licensing deals where the film, you know, Universal Pictures films are going to play over on Netflix or, you know, um, 20th century stuff's going to play over here and Disney, you know, Disney's got their own stuff. It's going to play on that. You can only put out so many movies a year because yeah. they have their own set of costs, which means you have only have so much new content coming out. And when you're looking at the studios, so go back to network and you look at, you know, the stuff that was being produced by ABC or CBS, or you know, uh, you know, Fox, or wherever you know, wherever is you're looking. Um, PBS, you got more stuff that was licensed. Right. Uh, it wasn't. There wasn't a whole lot of PBS. You know, because PBS was individual stations, right? It was. Yeah. Uh, you weren't looking at a, at a centralized production for most things. There were certain things that were produced by PBS, but a lot of company. stuff came out of WGBH in Boston. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, or children's programming that PBS was ultimately producing, yeah. or masterpiece um, theater. Yeah, I mean, there's so there was there was stuff like that that was done like that, but most of the time you're looking at stuff that was produced by television studios, and television studios only had to fill a certain amount of time with new programming that they were paying for from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So you had like, you know, you, you were looking at from what, uh, 6 p.m. to what, 10 p.m. So you're looking at maybe well, four hours of nighttime programming had to be that really you had to pay for. Not really that because you had prime time. So uh, uh, eight to 11 on the East. If you're using right. East and, Coast time. So three hours a night. So and, while you were getting 24 episodes of your favorite TV show, you only had, you know, you had four channels to choose from and you only, and each show is an hour long. So there was only, you only had to fill a relatively small amount of time. Yeah. Now it's 24 seven all the time, everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. Well, you and know? did you see, uh, what was it? A couple of, was it a couple of weeks ago? It was last week, I think I saw. It might have been. It might have been early last week. NBC. Now, this has been something that's been discussed before. This is not the first time this has come up. But NBC is very seriously considering giving back the the ten o'clock Eastern hour in Central Time would be the nine o'clock hour. The the hour before your local news giving it back mm-hmm. to the local affiliates. So you would only have two hours of primetime network programming on the weekdays mm-hmm. rather than three. Interesting. Because of the cost, because of the expense, because yeah, mm-hmm. you have to you have to pay for all of these shows. Now granted you have the production companies that are making the shows, like Dick Wolf Productions, who's cranking out all of these different law and orders and whatnot. But right, sure. the network pays the fee for like we talked about earlier the distribution rights the network pays the production company for the rights to air that show on their network it's starting to cost too much given all of the competition that's out there now between all of the different cable channels and all of the different streaming services and whatnot nbc has finally decided well you know maybe we don't need that last hour Maybe we give it back to the to the local affiliates. The evolution of this has been has been as somebody you know we we've had you know we're old enough to have watched this all just evolve. I mean we you know from from the model that was around before we were born yeah to where we are now and this constant state of flux as people consume their media in different ways. Um, I'm sure 20 years from now, it's going to look, the landscape is going to be very, very different because it just it's it's changed so much, and it's the sustainability. And we've talked about this. God, I think we talked about this way, way back when we were even at the really beginning of the, these streaming services. Mm-hmm. Is how many can you actually have? Yeah. Well, and the answer is about... all of them, and but. But we are also all talked of them about sustainable and the I mean not not here's what's going to happen and and folks I want you to I want you to to strap in because this is this is the future of streaming I'm telling you it's all reality TV because your production costs on reality TV are significantly lower than the narrative there's, program there's going to be a that. lot of that and we see a lot of that on discovery plus for example you know we see uh, a lot of it in a lot of places i mean and and the sad thing is is that you saw we saw this happen with the history channel <laughs> remember when the history channel was about history well yep. it turns out there's only so many documentaries you can make about a, this particular window of time and eventually they ran out of they ran out of content that was not repeating themselves yeah. or, or repeating themselves more than they were already repeating themselves. And so they looked at other ways to make money. Well, the and thing so they, is, the thing is, you know, with all of these different things, you know, your niche programming, like with History Channel and Arts and Entertainment, A&E started as Arts and Entertainment. 
you know, TLC used was to see learning live channel. theater. Yeah. Even, uh, uh, re- recorded theater you, on any you weird could. animation shorts. Yeah. That didn't, that were like super surreal. You'd have like this animation block on Annie. You could come up with the programming for it. However, you also look at, have to look at it from the standpoint of, does this make us any money? And if it doesn't make you any money, like, you know, you have to have a certain threshold as far as number of viewers in order to attract your advertisers, in order to help pay for your costs and and make a profit. And if you're not having anybody watching your show, then you have to sit there and say, okay, well, you do a cost-benefit analysis, and are we putting in more than we get out of it, and do we need to keep going? I, I have that conversation with myself many times per week because, you know, you look at all of the, all of the analytics here, you know, we've got 2,100 subscribers on our channel and our, our views run anywhere from 30 to 40 per video. And half of those aren't subscribers. And I'm thinking, well, that's what a 1%, 1 traffic. So, is it worth it? You know, we're putting out all this time, and are enough people watching to justify? I can't sell it to any advertisers because we don't have the number, the numbers. Well, you look at you look at something like yes, the Weather Channel has reality TV. Yeah, it's <laughs> yes. the The world has gone mad. Um, but you look at something like okay, so History Channel and Ancient Aliens. All right, mm-hmm. one of the worst. Ancient Aliens makes my brain bleed. It is so just... Anyway, but here's the thing. It is, an, it is an, a very, very stupid, stupid show with an audience, which I think is everyone... There's a whole bunch of people in the, in the content-creating world who look at things and say, well... There's an audience for that because you have these examples of programming that you think necessarily would be like, there's no way this is going to have views. Yeah. And it does. So you can. But of course, I don't want everything to move down to the level of ancient aliens because. <laughs> it's wrong. It's, it's wrong. It's 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 wrong, <laughs> but, but I mean the thing is, a, is that so many has an audience. It concerns me that that's where we're going to end up. Um, I mean i I don't know that I would spend a billion dollars on any TV series. Um, no, 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 not at all. But I mean, it, it, hey, it's a gamble. It's a risk. They took a chance. It works or it doesn't. That's fine. Um, the only downside I see is that. Amazon was the company that rescued the expanse. And I would hate to see a company that was willing to take a chance on really, really good science fiction programming and and give it a chance to have more seasons than it was going to get. Um, I'd hate to see that go away as a consequence of whatever the whatever the situation ends up being with, with Lord of the Rings series. But There'll be other. There's other places. There's only about a four thousand other streaming services at this point. Yeah. I have Amazon Prime. I have Netflix. At this point, those are the only two that I have. Um, and if I want to watch something that I can get, I can get other little trial things for these other streaming services through most a lot of them through Amazon Prime. Yeah. No, I, I take that back. I have a Shutter account. We have horror. we have a lot of the ones that we have came through bundles, um, mm-hmm. because uh, Mindy Mindy got a new a new cell cell phone plan through AT and T for her and her mother on on the same setup. So we ended up with I don't know. I think we ended up with Paramount Plus through that or something. We've got a we've got a bundle that's got Hulu and Disney and ESPN or some you know all of these different right. things where you get you're paying a fee for one and you get the other two or something. 
and it's it's we, cable we, all over again. Yeah, we have uh, it is cable, and it and it's you know the bundling. That's what we talked about when we when it first started. Is eventually you're going to get these services that are going to bundle the subscriptions up, and you pay the one you you basically pay the clearinghouse for you know the one fee, and it gets all of these different channels for you, and that's where that's going. Eventually, that's what's going to happen. But you know, right, right now, you know, we've got we've got Hulu and Paramount Plus and Disney Plus, and I think we don't. I don't think we have Netflix anymore. Um, and what's the other one? There was another one. I think I think we have HBO Max. I think. So you know. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, so. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they say I, you're pretty much hit your limit on streaming services. Yeah. I mean, I've I've scaled back. Yeah. Um, I still there's still enough in the Netflix catalog. That yeah. it's worthwhile for me to keep it, and uh, there's still enough in the Amazon Amazon Prime catalog. Christopher, um, one of our one of our contributors, Christopher in the chat, he says he'd be willing to broadcast his search for the corn cadaver if that brings in views. Uh, I don't know, maybe. Uh, it's you know, why not? Just give it a shot. Between that uh, and the hot we, tub, we need stream. to develop our own reality TV show. Wait, this, right. we kind of have kind of have one. This, this, yeah. a lot of our shows are reality TV, technically. So. Speaking of Rings of Power, just, just as a, just as a, uh, a button on this uh, for anybody who's who's interested, it is currently sitting at a thirty nine percent audience score. Um, yeah, people don't like it, but anyway, that that's that's neither here nor there. We can talk will, about that. I will say this: I have not watched it. Um, not because I have any desire. I have any. I don't have any reason to not watch it. It's just I haven't watched it yet. Um, and eventually, I will watch it. And I will say this: I will either like it or I won't. And that's going to be fine either way. If you are enjoying these, and hey, there is there has been more than one show where Jason and I have given our opinion about a thing, and this is a dumb thing, or we don't like this thing, or whatever. <laughs> And, and honestly, that's our opinion. Yeah. And you can agree with us or disagree. And if you enjoy the thing that we don't like, that's fine. Yeah, you're more than welcome to enjoy anything that you enjoy. If you if you are enjoying, uh, you know, as long as it's legal. You know the and the thing is is that it's okay for you to enjoy it. If if it's if look, there's so much really great content out there. Whether it's, you know, you've got so many great comic books, so many great novels, so many great uh, film and television, but it's not, not everybody's tastes are the same. Yeah. And it's okay if you like the thing that I don't like. Um, I have, there's a lot of bad movies I like, and <laughs> I like them for various reasons. I was reminded that there's a film called Deep Rising, Treat oh, yeah. Williams. Yeah, uh, is in that film. It's one of my favorite bad movies. It is aware that it is a B movie. It relishes the fact that it's a B movie, and it's got a King Kong reference. Uh, and Frank Welker, the great voice artist, uh-huh. does King is does this the voice of Kong in this. Um, I will put my recommendation in as well for Spaced Invaders. It mm, knows sure. exactly what kind of movie it is. It has its tongue firmly planted in cheek, and it has fun with it. It is, it is a bad. It's it's a good bad B movie. They they deliberately made it schlocky to the point where you you kind of look at it are... and you go, they did this on purpose. Yeah, those are examples of people doing stuff on purpose. Yeah, we have worked on we have worked on projects before that, <laughs> whether we've made them or we worked on other people's things in the independent film world or in in commercial commercial work that we've done. Um, everybody involved on those sets um, is working really hard, and whether or not they're making a good product, well, we always hope to. We're always trying. Yeah, um, and whether or not that works out well sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't so i mean i'm there's a lot of stuff that i i get completely get that people don't like it and that's fine and there's stuff that i like that i know other people don't care for and that's fine it's there's so much great stuff out there for you yes 
and you is and and if you else, so. and if you come across something that you like and you want to tell us about it, you can send us a note h h two o at sci fi for me dot com, or you can connect with us on all the different social medias. Look at that nice new graphic artistic representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on 10 different social media platforms. We're on four different video platforms. We finally crossed 200 over on Odyssey. I think we're sitting at 202 right now. Uh, so you can join us over there. There is the PayPal tip jar. Hopefully they don't hold any money hostage. And we've got a mailing address there if you've got something you want to send us for review. And uh, that's, I think, where we'll wrap it up tonight. So uh, we got through another one. There's a lot of great Kong stuff out there, guys. Check it out. If you There's... if you weren't aware about the books, I wasn't aware. I, I didn't really. I, the books I wasn't really either. registered. The comic series. There's all kinds of cool stuff out there. So if you're a fan of the character, you've got options to find new things that you and, didn't, weren't aware of. And when you find something that you like, buy the physical media. Oh yeah, guys. Buy the physical please. media because they can't take the physical media away from you. Buy the physical media because the day is coming when you're going to post something on your Twitter and they're going to lock you out of your Comixology account. Buy physical media. All right. That's it. Well, not only that, because buying physical media supports your local comic book store. Well, that's true, too. Or your local bookstore or your local music store. Or, or or whatever your, it is, or your used bookstore. I still, your, well, yeah, your local I, used bookstore. Those are that's still my retirement plan. In, take care of the take care of the folks in your community, and they'll take care of you. Yes. All right, that's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Thanks very much for being here, all of you in the chat. Good to see all of you. Uh, share the link. Tell people about us. Don't keep us a secret. We'll do this again next week with some kind of a topic somewhere. Good night, everybody. Good night. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 